Hi, this is Mark Wade, writer of Daredevil, and you're listening to Longbox Heroes. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 569 of Longbox Heroes. Joe and Todd here. Todd, not Adam. How are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic, Joe, and I'm, you know, love my name. I don't know if you know that. Right, and I'm loving calling the show the Lamborghini of comic book podcasts. Mm-hmm. The show is very close to becoming uh, no longer an all-ages podcast, just so you know. <laughs> I was, you know what? When there's a, a segment later in the show, um, we might have to do it, too. So, You know, uh, I was thinking about that. Remember last week when I had some gripes uh, in regards to something with comic books? Mm -hmm. That I wanted to swear about. I'm like, oh, we'll put that over on After Dark. Yep. And, uh, you know. I, uh, you know, try to keep this, this, this show pure, you know? Yeah, I told you. We want it pure as a driven snow over here. That's right. Play it with the family in the car while you're out driving, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. So, uh, this week... Uh, no news, but one man has come through for us <laughs> to something to talk about. Never fails, you know. As the sun sets and rises, uh, this man is always, you know, maybe he was distracted by the Olympics for a couple of weeks, but he decided to triple <laughs> down. Yep. Spoilers on who that could be. Just so you know, Todd, I had no less than five people contact me yep. saying, hey, did you see this? <laughs> yep. They know us too well. It's almost like we have, like, watchmen out there for it. That's right. Uh, so, uh, of course, conventions this weekend. There's a biggie happening. Uh, digital sales. Uh, what we read this week, which includes Nightwing 83, Kang the Conqueror number one. And we decided to do, like, a little preview-y, review-y thing. With uh, King Spawn number one, since that's like the hot book that's coming out this week, right? Right. I'm I'm asking, right? Is that the hot book that's coming out this week? It is, oh, but it's only the one in 250 that's the hot book. The rest are going to be placeholders in dollar boxes. Uh, more on that later. Mm-hmm. Nickel boxes. But uh, what we're looking forward to coming out this week, Todd's Art Attack. Uh, Todd and Joe have issues. And uh, spoiler-filled discussion of both Stargirl and Legends of Tomorrow. Legends of Tomorrow is hair-raising this week, Joe. Uh, I was ripping my hair out watching it. (laughs) I bet you were. My thick, luxurious mane of hair. Definitely not a wig. (laughs) Exactly. Have I ever told you the joke um, that I stole from Letterman? No, no. When people would accuse me uh, back in my Leonard F. Jakarson days because <laughs> of how poor my hair I was wearing like a wig or a piece or something. I think I know this joke, but go ahead. Right. And uh, the joke that I would I would always say to people that I stole from Letterman was, was, do you think that if this was something I, pay for, I paid for, I'd have a very hefty lawsuit on my hands? <laughs> See, I always thought you just... Did the comb over from your back? Well, again, I have to comb it over and then shave the spot so you can see the back of my neck. Oh, okay. Fair enough. Can't tell. Uh, it's a light week. It's a light week. <laughs> it's going to be a short show, Joe. Ask not for whom the 
Rob Trolls. The Rob Trolls for thee. And now, the Rob Watch. Be an even shorter show if it wasn't for the Rob, Todd. Uh, You know, I'd kind of given up on the Rob's podcast. uh, Maybe right around the time the Batman Fortnite comic came out. Mm Mm-hmm. And he was talking about how it was a good practice for stores to gouge people coming into your store for the first time to buy the book. Makes sense. That's how you get repeat customers. Oh, wait, it isn't. And I maybe I'm like, well, maybe I need a break from the Rob. And then a couple of weeks ago, he did a two-parter about his feud with uh, Todd McFarlane. Mm-hmm. And I like when the, the Rob talks about comic book history and, like, he deals in facts where he just reads, like, an old interview that, like, either he gave or somebody else gave. Mm-hmm. And then just goes nuts over it, you know? Yep. 30 years later, whatever it is. Um, but uh, not 30 years later, but um, what uh, What are we looking at? 23 years ago? Right. Uh, it all started. And, again, this is how these things start. We're on three days of this, by the way, Mm -hmm. just so you're aware. So three days ago, uh, great artist Francesco Francavilla, who I want to just mention before I continue, okay? Fantastic artist, English not his first language, okay? Right. Uh, Tweets out a drawing that he did that just says, Blade, the very first Marvel blockbuster movie starring Wesley Snipes, released on this day in 1998. To which the Rob chimes in, uh, was not a blockbuster. It was successful. The idea that it spurned more comic book films is false. Good film marketed, sold as a vampire flick with comic book roots. To which Francisco uh, uh, replies back, do you need a hug? The Rob (laughs) replies back, you need a reality check. Uh, then replies back, maybe you need to look up the word blockbuster, okay? Right. Now, Francisco Francavilla cites the budget at $45 million and a total gross of $131 million, okay? Right, right. So it made more than double back what it was worth, but the fact that this horrible person, Francisco Francavilla, took it upon himself to say that Blade was a blockbuster and was the first Marvel, you know, blockbuster film, uh, incited the Rob in such a way that I wish I could say I've never seen before. <laughs> but having listened to all those episodes of, you know, Rob observations, he would hammer this so hard. And I would always point it out when I would do my write ups of it, of how, like, the Rob is wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Rob would point to that its domestic gross was only seventy million. Um, and we don't talk about movies like Lost in Space or Six Days and Seven Nights as blockbusters. No, we don't because those movies probably came in at well under their budget. Right. Um, and. That was a big year, 1998 for movies. I think that was the year Titanic came out, right? That was a blockbuster. Okay, that was a blockbuster. There's no arguments there. But I know for a fact 
that it was because of Blade that X-Men finally got made. Right, but that doesn't count because those aren't, you know, Marvel Cinematic Movies. And remember, X-Men, according to The Rob, did ha- had no names in it, um, in it other than, you know, uh, didn't you say, like, there was no names in it other than maybe uh, uh, Magneto? And they're like, well, what about Patrick Stewart? He was just on Star Trek. And what about, yeah. uh, like, who played Rogue? She had an Oscar under her belt at the time. And it was like, she doesn't count. It's like... If anytime you bring something to the Rob, he moves the goalposts. And yes. like I say, with this movie, like if he ever puts out a movie about like one of his dinky characters, like that he created solo, and it makes $120 million or $90 million or whatever on a $20 million budget, he'll call it a blockbuster because it was his. But when it's somebody else's, it's like, let me show you all the ways you're wrong, Mr. Francovia. So I don't right. like. So, sorry. So I first of all, that's that's not going to happen. Something that Rob, um, made being made into a, the Rob makes and gets made into a movie isn't going to get whatever. Right? Not a Marvel project anyway. Um. So again, he's been saying for the longest time that Blade was not marketed as a comic book movie. It was marketed as a horror movie, and it mm-hmm. wasn't marketed as a horror movie either. It was marketed as like. A Matrix ripoff, of all things. Right, but wasn't Blade before Matrix? Um, I think... Oh, see, now you're going to get me looking into the Matrix. Now my... Uh, you're on a list. Are all gonna, so, right, okay, so, yeah, you, you're, I stand corrected. The Matrix came out a year after Blade, right? Mm-hmm, because... So I stand corrected there. And here's one where um, uh, it initially come up... Um, and so, yeah, the Rob says, uh, in like an old episode of the podcast that Blade wasn't a comic book movie. Uh, then he was calling it a cool vampire flick Mm -hmm. and says that it had nothing to do with like getting any other Marvel movies made. Right. So at that time, Marvel was kind of like in a down point. Like they didn't start coming back up for like another year or two after that. It really wasn't until like the ultimate line, which I think was like 2001, right? That sounds about right in there. Okay. So you, you have to be, and I think also around that time, the Rob was, and the Rob was saying that Blade wasn't a comic book movie, but then in the same breath says that 97, 98 uh, also had movies like Batman and Robin and Men in Black and Spawn and Steel, which all came out in 97, 98. But he says that those don't count because comic book, those were failure comic book movies, right? Even though they really weren't failure comic book movies. So <laughs> the the other thing is I vividly remember there being an article in like uh, CBG, right? After Blade hit. They listed what Marvel, after Blade hit, it was one of those things where Hollywood sees one thing hit and then a million things they try to make hit, okay? Right, right. Um, I go back to Bendis's, uh Fortune and Glory. I always recommend to check that out wherever it exists now. I think it exists on Dark Horse's digital platform now, right? I agree. Great, great thing. Right. So he talks about how he was trying to get Torso, which is, the pitch for it is Elliot Ness against the first American, the, the first serial killer on American soil, right? That's what, it's a fictional account of that story, okay? Mm-hmm. So that movie is being pitched around 
while that's being pitched around, I know what you did last summer becomes a hit. So now the studios want to turn that story of Elliot Ness <laughs> finding the first serial killer on American soil into like a teen centric horror movie like that. Right. Okay. And it was literally that movie comes out on Friday. They know it's a hit on a Saturday. He's taking meetings on a Monday of them wanting to do that. Okay. Mm-hmm. So like I said, Marvel was still not what it was today, let alone what it was 20 years ago, let alone what it was 30 years ago when Blade came out. And Blade comes out is because Marvel was in such a doldrums. Blade hits that opening weekend, and every studio comes knocking about every Marvel property that you could possibly think of. And the reason I'll never forget this, in that issue of Comic Book Guide, they're listing them all. They're like, this went to this studio, and this went to this studio, and that went to this studio. And, like, that's how, like, you know, Sony got all these parts and Fox got all these parts. Yep. And, and that was all because. Because they, because Marvel didn't know what they had. They didn't realize that you could do a giant cinematic universe. So it was just like, we're selling off pieces to the highest bidders. And you have to remember at that time, it was because Marvel was in the dumps in the comics. Yes. They, they were trying to make bucks anywhere they could. And it was a fire sale for the rights. And it was terribly. You know, like the contracts were terrible. Like they never return. Like that's as long as you do this or that, there should be windows and then you re up, you know. But yeah, that's that's the way it went. And and so I'll go you one better. And again, the exact dates of it, as I'm looking at this here, it was in '98 when Blade comes out that Marvel files for Chapter 11 bankruptcy. Exactly. Yep. So I don't know exactly the date that happened, but it was like that same time frame that they do Marvel Knights. And Marvel Knights was kind of like a little bit of the spark that started to get them to the ultimate line in 2001. Yep. But again, Marvel's in bankruptcy. Blade hits. And again, I'm getting back to this is because they have this whole list of all these properties. And I see at the bottom of the list. And this is one of those jokes that I always make because I'll never forget seeing it. The one of the things it was at the the last thing that was on this list of Marvel properties that were sold was Mort the Dead Teenager. Yep. Which was like this weird oddball Marvel Comics miniseries, and some movie studio had the rights to it because you never know what the hit's gonna be. Because if Blade is gonna be a hit, then what else is gonna be a hit, right? Right, fifty-fifty shot. More the dead teenagers a hit to them. You know what I mean? But so it's just infuriating to me that the Rob got so bent out of shape regarding this that mm-hmm. he's like, what does he have to gain? And what, like, and yeah, and, the, and so the other thing is, it, like, he he's like, well, just the domestic gross, just the domestic gross. Like it made another like sixty million internationally, right? Mm-hmm. That doesn't count. Remember, remember, but it back does. In- like no. it, it's money. No, you know, it's all money. It. it all counts. I've had people do that to me too, where it's like that's international. I'm like, why do you think they like in movies today? It's like we have to make sure we have like a, a very diverse cast, so it'll play like. I'll never forget Davy Jr., who used to work at the comic shop. He loved Davy Jr. He went to build houses in Africa for charity. He was like 18, whatever. 
Love the kid. He goes and he goes, and I remember they were pushing Thor or Thor 2 at the time that he did it. And he's like, over there, he's like, the posters, it was all Idris Elba. There was no Natalie Portman on the posters. Right. It was, you know, I'm in Africa. This is what we look like. This is what we're going to push. So, like, and and that's, like, the first time that, like, in, in stupid Toddness, I... I realized like the, the grand scheme of things. And that's after that, I looked at movies a completely different way. You know what I mean? Like American is the, oh, the American gross is, is only what matters. And, and like you say, what, what does he have to go after Franco? Like, what does it, does it make him look any better? Yeah. You know, like, and even if, even if he is right, like the guy did a thing. Cause he likes, he likes Blade in the movie and he drew some. It's like he's just got to crap all over it because, you know, he knows better. And then he'll say, well, the X-Men doesn't count. And the reason I know is because Deadpool was made by the same company and I was behind the scenes and I know all this stuff. This was 20 years before you were there. You know what I mean? Like, so stop talking like you know everything and go try to get your properties back that you lost because you signed dumb contracts. That's what you should really be doing. Oh, I get hot. He makes me hot, Joe. Well, if you want me to throw a little bit more heat on the fire, uh, he did just sell an NFT of New Mutants 98 today, and it sold out in 30 seconds. Well, How something digital sells out in 30 seconds, I'll never know. But One of those not for Todd's, Joe? Right. So, listen, what do we know? The Rob's laughing all the way to the bank, and we're just a bunch of dopes here, you know? Yes, I agree. I, you know, I, I'll never take that away from him. And and I do just want to say one thing about Blade and The Matrix, because you brought it up before, is people forget that, like, that, like, because of that, like, everybody talks about Matrix being the first bullet time and all that stuff, those effects. And I remember sitting in Blade watching it, and there's a scene where he runs up a set of steps chasing somebody, and he jumps out a window and jumps to the building across the street, and they do that bullet time camera spin for the first time. And I was like blown away. I was like, this effect is amazing. And they did it a couple more times in the movie, and then it runs in the Matrix, and everybody's like, the visuals, this and that. And I'm like, not only with the Marvel movies, but like vision, the. Uh, the movie is like way ahead of its time for special effects too. So I just, you know, I'm, I'm all for blade special. I even like blade two. never saw blade three. You can make me watch that on the Patreon if you want Joe. No, somebody's in that, that I'm not allowed to talk about. Oh, okay. That's another thing. Um, they, uh, were supposed to, uh, blade three was supposed to be the dark stalkers spinoff. Mm-hmm. Um, to spin off uh, the double R and the lady in that uh, right. as like their own movies because Wesley Snipes was either becoming more difficult to work with, getting ready to go to jail for tax avoision, or both. Right. Well, because I've never seen it. Isn't there a lot of shots where uh, Wesley isn't in the scene, like in the shot with anybody? Yes. Because I heard rumors about that, that there was like, when it got to the third movie, it's like, just bring these people on set, shoot their scenes, and we'll edit in Wesley later. I think it was one of those deals where it's like, we only have X amount of days with him. Mm-hmm. And we don't have those same days with the rest of the cast, so let's just get in what we can, and hopefully this one's a success. And, uh, you know, we could continue this franchise without we could continue the blade franchise without blade oh well see if it wasn't for blade and blade 3 we wouldn't have deadpool joe 
Well, I'll I'll put the blame on Blade 3 not being good and failing at the box office on noted failure to everything he touches, Paul Levac. Oh, okay. Was he in that? He certainly was. He was... So the villain in the movie is Parker Posey. Ooh. And she was his... She was her... Uh, uh, Triple H was her, like, heavy, like, her big muscle meathead sidekick. Did he have hair? Did he have a good wig or hair? It was his hair, you know, he's, uh, you know, his hair still had a nice sheen to it, you know, not like it would a few years later for unknown reasons. Okay. That could possibly strip the sheen and testosterone out of a man for some reason. Or, you know. Allegedly, allegedly. Right. So, yeah, that's it. That was, that was the news. It was the Rob watch. <laughs> no. The Rob has a bee in his bonnet about Blade for some reason and has to attack other creators, other professionals in the same industry as him to settle you know, their hash over nitpicks. Well, if anybody would know about nitpicks, it's you. And that's the thing. That's my <laughs> wheelhouse. But at least I feel as though when I do it, it's usually something way more outlandish and ridiculous that only applies to me and like cannot be disproven with facts because <laughs> it's something that exists only in my head. Yep. I don't really like take it seriously. And at the end of it, it's usually to point out like what a goof I am about these sort of things, mm -hmm. you know, like and I guess the, the close, Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I was saying, and you usually punch up. Where, oh, yeah, for where sure. Where the Rob is punching down. I'm not besmirching uh, Francovia, but you know, like the Rob has all his sycophants. So, yeah. like, 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 I don't see like Francovia's like fans be like, oh, we got to go after the Rob. You know what I mean? And all his, you know, his army of followers. Where I was looking and like, they come out of the woodwork. You know what I mean? Like, like yeah, Rob's right. What are you, what are you, stupid Francovia? And I'm like, I got to get out of here. I have to, I have to get away from this. Yeah. But. Maybe more on the Rob later. <laughs> well, it's the all Rob, all, all the time podcast here. Yeah, let's hope not. So uh, conventions this weekend. There's a biggie. The Colorado Springs Comic Con in Colorado Springs, Colorado. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, creators, we got Brett Breeding and Jay Lee are going to be there. Okay. Uh, but media guests, it's, it's quite the cornucopia of media guests uh bill Moseley is going to be there uh most notably from texas chainsaw massacre 2 and house of a thousand corpses uh david keckner is going to be there and you know who david keckner is he's one of those that guy actors isn't he the one from like anchorman yes okay and uh, not as good as the Full House. Well, you know what? I'm going to say maybe a step above the Full House one, but definitely not as good as the Karate Kid one. Uh, the double photo op with Jerry Mathers and Tony Dow. Oh. <laughs> um, and again, slightly below them, uh, Brian O'Halloran and Jeff Anderson are going to be there as well. Okay, from Clerks, right? Right, from the, the Kevin Smith films. This would be one that we would have to pull off uh, <laughs> our, our booking because people might be able to identify us as at least two people would be able to identify us as not the guy who says, ooh, Navy Seals and Clerks. Right. Uh, also from the world of sports and entertainment, uh, John Moxley is going to be there. 
Oh, I hope they got them potato salad. I was going to say, if any of our listeners are going to the show, bring just like a to-go thing of potato salad for Moxley. He'll have no idea why you did it. Right. But we'll know why you did it. <laughs> yep. Uh, Britt Baker is going to be there, and I'm not going to do her thing when she says DMD, but, you know, AEW world champion. Is she the dentist? She is the dentist. She's the evil dentist, yes. Oh, so she's the anti-April. Got it. Yes. (laughs) I wonder if her boyfriend will be there. I hear he's got some free days coming up. Is Who's Britt Baker's boyfriend? Uh, Adam Cole. Bebe from uh, formerly of World Wrestling Entertainment. Is that neck tattoo? No, that's Cody Rhodes. Oh, I'm getting confused. No, remember, wasn't there one on announcing that had a neck tattoo? When that's I was Corey walking? Graves. Ah, see, my days of being out of it has completely screwed yes. me up, Joe. But there is one person that you know, Ooh. and that's future Orange Cassidy, the honky-tonk man, will be there as well. <laughs> oh, fantastic. So it's a jammed up, it's a jammed up weekend. And I'll say this, uh, you know, obviously we mentioned last week, Anchor Con and um, the Comic Con in uh, Kansas City, uh, Planet Comic Con. And I actually got a chance to see some videos of stuff from there. Mm -hmm. And obviously there's only two conventions. They're kind of, you know, they're not like the big dogs, like your New York's or your San Diego's and stuff. But it looks like math dates were in it looks like people were spaced out um and watching those videos i'm like i don't know i might feel comfortable going to a convention you know sometime in the near future but we'll see you know yeah baltimore's coming up joe yeah i know baltimore's coming up we'll talk we'll talk <laughs> I love uh, we could tweeting. talk about it actually in three weeks how about that fair enough all right uh so if you're in the uh colorado springs area you're gonna be in that area go check that out i don't know people might be in the wisconsin illinois area for wrestling anyway uh you know go meet these other people as well Mm -hmm. um i mentioned um the anchor comic con last uh that was last week chris runt of battle monsters uh, he was there. You can check out Battle Monsters on Comixology. Jason Sandberg's Jupiter, uh, also on Comixology. Kevin Hellions made the trip up to AnchorCon. Sadly, they passed in the night, he and Chris. Check out his site at Masked Library. His podcast, uh, Hellions Talks, is coming back this week as well. Rick Williams' The Chop Shop, all those cool resident uh, glow-in-the-dark stuff that he does. Uh, check those out as well. Our friend Becky. Uh, she does a lot of original art, um, you know, sketches and commissions and filling out the uh, blank variant covers that come out. You can go check out her social media, which is linked in every show post, as well as our local comic book shop, Comics on the Green. If you do not have a comic book shop in your area or you do not have a good comic book shop in your area, our comic book shop is the best. Whether you can get there in person or set up a mailed subscription list, I my highest recommendation, seven stars, non-Tokyo Dome variant. Oh, boy. Uh, and, of course, I would be remiss not to mention Soon to Be Named Network at soontobenamednetwork.com, soontobenamednetwork.tumblr.com. Michelle of Wings on Wings made fun of me for still using Tumblr. Oh. Well, you don't want to get on Michelle's bad side. Absolutely not. I was only stating a fact. 
So whether any of the shows in the soon to be named network go live, you can always find them at soon to be named network.com. As mentioned, wings on wings. We need wrestling at odds with wrestling final wrestling place. Puzzle warriors, three profane arguments, uh, porch talk, long box heroes, long box heroes after dark and coming about a week from now, hit my music, David Kincannon, the man who does a lot of the jingles that you hear in the middle and at the end of these shows, and represented on many of the soon-to-be-named network shows, he is doing his own show, talking to professional wrestlers about their choices for entrance music, their inspirations for entrance music, and that sort of thing. Uh, David is not a music man, but I would go as far to say he is the music man. Ooh. Give him another nickname. Uh, he's got the Jingle Meister. He's got Shoesy. Uh, that's now enough. The, right, yeah, don't give him the music, man. Not yet. Okay. Uh, digital sales this week. There's a bunch of stuff, of course. They're doing a good job of kind of cycling things through, but I think there's going to be some stuff sitting. Uh, for the next couple weeks here, Marvel having a sale on Dawn of X-related stuff and Guardians of the Galaxy legacy stuff. Todd, how old are we that the Abnett and Lanning Guardians of the Galaxy stuff is now considered legacy? Oh, let me get my walker. And I was going to say, that's only like 15 years old. And I say only, you know? Well, isn't doesn't that make it classic music, too? I guess. No, they, the classic mu- music is the 90s. Oh, okay. I don't know. I It's vintage. That's all I know. There you go. Uh, Dark Horse having a sale on Ma- Matt Kent stuff. Dynamite having a sale on creator-owned stuff. And Omnibuses. Valiant having a sale on Exo Manowar, DC having a sale on their top 100 ebooks because <laughs> we can't even call them graphic novels anymore because we're that embarrassed to call them this. They're, they're comic books, everyone. They're, comic books. They're ebooks, is what they're called. That's what DC's calling this sale. Yes. Oh, are they all books that start with E? That's the only way I'd, I'd let them get away with it, Joe. Yeah, they retitle everything. It's E, Dark Knight Returns, E, Batman Year One. Oh, fair enough. And uh, IDW having a sale individually on both G.I. Joe and Transformers stuff. And Marvel having a sh- sale on Shang-Chi-related comic books. Prime yourself for the movie coming out next week. I could, that keeps sneaking up on me, Joe. I forgot how close that was. That's why I put the list of them in the in the show email every week. That is a good idea, you know? And the ever-moving goalposts on some movies. Mm-hmm. So uh, let's get into what we read from this past week. And Todd, I'll turn it over to you with where you would like to begin. I'm going to start with the book uh, I was looking forward to most, which is Nightwing 83, written by Tom Taylor. Art by beautiful art by Bruno Redondo, as always. As we laugh, last left uh, Dick Grayson, he was talking with a woman he found out is his sister. Um, and while this is happening, the police and Blockbuster found out that he's there, so they go. Blockbuster's like, you know, you're you're all under my thumb. You're all corrupt cops. Go get them. So, like, the first half of the book is dick uh breaking out of the apartment as nightwing trying to get away from the cops and you know blockbuster and that's all great looks beautiful great art but then where the book really shines is the second half is where he gets home and he wakes up several days later because you know brain brain damage you know he's been hitting his head too hard they they talk about that again and he has this plan 
what he's going to do with the money that Alfred has left him. And he ends up going and he talks to like all his friends, like the Titans and uh, Lucius Fox. And there's a great like three pages of him talking with Superman and get Tom Taylor. Like he is doing, you know, uh, Superman's son of Kal-El. But get him on a Superman proper book because he has him down as they talk back and forth. I love the three pages of them chatting. And then he goes and he talks to Barbara um, about it. And as he goes out to do his press conference, um, something goes on with Barbara and Dick. And I'm like, I'm like, this is this gave me goosebumps. And I got like verklempt. I love Barbara and Dick as, a, you know, as friends and or a couple. And he goes out and he says what he's going to do with the money to honor Alfred. And then after that, there's this great bit where he gets all these texts from various people who knows he's, you know, Nightwing and from, and they all like congratulate him. There's one in there from Damien that is so out of character, but in character when you really think about it, that I love it. And then at the end, there's like a bit of, uh, heartbreaker, or I forget what the character's name is. I get confused, but like showing that heartless, that what Dick has done. He's like, this isn't going to fit into my plan. So, you know, like he's next on my list, but the, the way he honors Alfred, it's just Tom Taylor gets everything that he like at DC, especially all the characters, all the relationships, all the way they work, all the ways to, to, to get you to tug at your heartstrings or make you mad when he wants to. Um, this once again was a perfect book. And, and like I said, that, that few moments between Barbara and, and Dick fits well into their whole history. So how but, many issues? Oh, sorry. I love this book. Sorry. Yeah. Love this book. How many issues into this run by Tom Taylor and uh, Bruno Redondo are we? I would say five issues, I believe. Right. Okay. I can make the argument that, you could pick this up on any issue and you know exactly what's going on. Mm-hmm. Even though this is very clearly a continuing story, the way that he tells every issue is in a way that lets you know everything that's going on in the previous issues, but not in a way that feels forced in an ex- exposition dump as a lot of creators will do when they're trying to catch a reader up on stuff. But if See, Nightwing 83 was your first issue, you know everything that's going on. Right. Um, the bit that you mentioned about, uh, Dick and Superman was fantastic. Um, you know, obviously they mention it, um, that Nightwing comes from the superhero, Nightwing and Flamebird, the heroes that were on Krypton when Clark was growing up, Kal-El, whatever. Excuse me. Um, so anytime that there's a bit in any of Nightwing books with Dick and Superman, they're always great. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think I've read a bad one and I've read a lot of Nightwing books you know, a lot, right? Right. Uh, the bet, the the bit about them talking about how they should let Bruce know what's going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then how that ends up kind of resolving itself, you know? Right. Um, I love that the Bat family has their own like little group chat that they're in. Yep. Uh, I wonder what social media that will not be named uh, that that is part of. Right, right. I, I like the fact, too, that uh, when Nightwing's talking to Superman, Superman's like, I'm going away for a little while. Can you check in on my son? And since they're both Tom Taylor books, yep. I'm hoping that Nightwing does show up in uh, Superman's Son of Kal-El. Because, yep. like, that'll be fantastic. 
it's perfect synergy to be allowed when a creator is working on two books like that, that he could sort of do these sort of things. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I might say that, you know, non-black label, because, you know, I think we could both agree that right now um, on the DC side of things, Nice House by the Lake is probably the best thing they're putting out. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. I would say, like, on the superhero non-black label side of things, that Nightwing is probably the best book that DC's putting out right now. Yep. You know what? I would say mainstream. Yes, they're their their best mainstream title right now. Yeah, and, and I, you know, I think that's one of those ones that every time that it's come out since the launch, we've talked about it here on the podcast, and it's absolutely worth your time. Yep. And one last thing on Bruno Redondo. Remember, like when we were reading Suicide Squad, and I'll never forget because you told me this that panel or that full page splash where even your wife walked by you while you were reading. It was like, hey, that's nice. Yeah. Like that scene with Barbara and and Dick, like I'm like I would buy that page. That's like a nothing page, and I would buy that page in a heartbeat. That's like like how well like he like the the like he shows you the emotion that you need in the art every time. Like I like DC, hook your wagon to Tom Taylor and Bruno Redondo right now because that's your future right there. With all your creators leaving for Substack, there's your future. Yeah, and you have a lot of money freed up of all the people not taking those exclusive contracts, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'll uh, mention, uh, so the next book, the one that I was most looking forward to coming out this week, was Kang the Conqueror number 1, uh, written by Colin Kelly and Jackson Lansing, uh, with art by Carlos Mango. Um... This is the origin of Kang. And uh, I think because he's a villain, and I don't think this book is going to babyface him in any way. Right. Um, I don't think that this is going to be some sort of like huge reimagining of Kang. And Kang as a villain, as a character, as a whatever, always has that baggage around him that he's a time travel villain. Mm-hmm. Or a time travel person, which always automatically puts a lot of people off, myself included. Um, but as a kid, I remember like the Kang Secret Wars figure looking real cool. <laughs> and anytime Kang popped up in something I was reading, um, I kind of went the extra mile to make sure that I understood what the time travel stuff was. And I think a lot of the earlier stuff of Kang that I read, and I say earlier stuff, like mid to late 90s stuff <laughs> about Kang was written by Kurt Busick, who's kind of like a master at that sort of thing, right? All right, right. Those vintage Kang stories. Right. And that's, yeah, <laughs> listen, 25 years ago, I'll give you vintage 15, you know, maybe give it 10 years. Right. Um, but this is uh, Kang, uh, Nathaniel Richards. He's a bored <laughs> kid in the 31st century. Everything's sanitized, everything's kind of humdrum, and he decides, hey, I'm going to go back in time and I'm going to do something, right? I don't know what I'm going to do. When I get there, I'm going to figure it out. And, of Mm -hmm. course, when he gets there, not only does he show up in, like, Castle Doom, which I think was a shot at you personally, Todd. Well, we'll get to that. Go ahead. (laughs) But then Kang, I guess what you would consider, like, let's say Kang Prime shows up, right? Right, Kang the Conqueror. Right, capital T the Conqueror, yes. Mm -hmm. Shows up and takes Nathaniel Richards, you know, to be Kang, 
um, to like, and he's going to train him to make sure that he, Kang Prime, capital V Conqueror, <laughs> exists, right? Right. This is something that happens quite frequently in Kang storylines where different iterations of them. But I would say this is the first time in some time that, you know, not yet Kang is confronted by Kang. And you see how these two personalities butt heads. You see how Kang, capital V, Conqueror is attempting to shape Nathaniel Richards to make sure that he doesn't allow these things in to his life. Um, and then you get to see, I think, a little bit more pathos that the book attempts to make you feel almost a little bit sorry for Kang the capital V conqueror. Um, but I like this, you know, but I think I was predisposed to come in liking this. Fair enough. I mean, you are a Kang guy, so yeah, it made me like feel bad for Nathaniel Richards when Kang capital V conqueror was being a jerk to him, you know? Um, and they set that whole thing up where he meets the girl specifically that Kang, capital B Conqueror, told him not to go out and do that sort of thing. And then, of course, Nathaniel Richards uh, immediately betrays him and, like, doesn't listen to him. And then, of course, there's repercussions for that. And then, you know, it's no surprise Nathaniel Richards gets away by retrofitting Kang's time stuff for him. But, of course, there's multiple Kangs and multiple times and multiple timelines, and the story continues from there. Okay. Yes. Um, I read this issue because I was like, oh, Joe read it. It's Kang. It's time travel stuff. I'll give it a whirl. I read this book, and I really, like, really, really, and I'm not just saying this, liked this book. Yay! Um, you're a Kang man now, too. Right. Um, uh, just the fact that it looks, once again, looks beautiful. Like that helps me a lot because, you know, throw, throw, take a character that I'm not into and give me like goofy art or like, you know, cartoony art. Like if you're going to make, if you're going to put Kang, Kang capital T, the conqueror over as a bad guy, you can't have him looking like, you know, Scotty young art. If you get what I mean, like, yeah, not that Scotty young art is bad. It just doesn't work for the story. The art works on this story. And then the bit where he takes him. And he has a time limit to train him. The time limit's fantastic, right? Um, like what it is. Then the the bit like where you know they he we begrudge Doctor Doom, but then later on as he's showing him his life as Kang Capital T V Conqueror is showing you know the young proto Kang his life. Um, it's like it, 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 it's it's all the stuff that I that we can get into. He ends up showing him like the bit of you know, oh, when Doom, he's like, oh, when Doom belittled you in Manhattan. And I'm like, okay, like, so Doom gets over on him later. But all that stuff, I think, is once the kid gets away, is it's going to, all this stuff is going to play out regardless. And he's be, he's going to become Kang, capital T, the Conqueror, if you get what I mean. Because the bit when he meets the girl and he gets the lines down his face on the painting, to me, that's why Kang capital T, the conqueror has them on his mask. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Like he has those lines. So we're going to see all those little bits that were a flashback to, to the, to capital T, the conqueror. We're going to see this one live those lives. And in the end, he's going to be Kang capital T, the conqueror. That's the way it's going to work out. It's either going to be a loop 
or it's going to be like him, like being like when he gets there, he's going to be like, yep, that's what I had to do to train me. He kind of gets away from the situation that the young kid leaves him in. But either way, because I'm a time guy and all this stuff, and I do believe we're going to meet Doom later on down the line, I had a blast like reading this. This was way, way better than I thought it would be. Uh, this is uh, verified proof that uh, Kang is good. No, this is verified proof that Kang's going to get his butt handed to him by a certain uh, dictator with an iron mask. That's oh, all. I'm sure they're going to. I'm sure they're going to be fast friends. Yep. Yep. Uh, so now uh, we're going to talk about a book that's coming out today that has a lot of hype behind it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that would be King Spawn number one. Uh, written primarily by Sean Lewis, uh, with art by Todd McFarlane. Okay. Uh, and a host of others. So. Uh, so this is, uh, the first new Spawn, quote-unquote, number one in however many years. Uh, this is the beginning of the Spawn Expanded Universe. Um, this is a $6 book, but it's a big book. I'll give you that, you know? Oh yeah. I didn't think it was going to stop as I was reading it. (laughs) Well, they, they give you all the teases for all the other stuff. Right. And, uh, like some of the other whatevers, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. And I, I do. I said art by Todd McFarlane, I guess. So the image website credits Todd McFarlane as the artist. But the actual full artist of the main story is Javi Fernandez. Right. So what this issue is about is some sort of cabal, some sort of group uh, in the world uh, that is using Psalm 136. Yeah. 37, uh, whatever. Okay. As like uh, 137, right as their calling card, as their marker to send a message to Spawn. Mm -hmm. They are doing this as an affront to him. Now, I will say there's a new thing on the Spawn design where it's almost as though he has a mouth showing through his mask at times, and I don't like it. Okay. It looks weird. Um, So Spawn... Uh, you know, we're, we're introduced to a character who we're led to believe that is the one behind all of this. Uh, and then of course, you know, maybe that person might not be behind what's going on. And then we get the reveal at the end of the issue as to why this issue is called King Spawn. Right. Uh, and then we get, what, three different backup features? Right, which will all be new books, apparently. Uh, well, one is Haunt, which is that book that Kirkman and McFarlane did all those years. Okay. And I think that's them folding that character into the Spawn expanded universe. Um, another character, Nightmare, who looks like some sort of evil Spawn of some kind. Mm-hmm. Um, then there's the Redeemer, who was like the, like if Spawn was the good guy of this book, then he was the bad guy of the book. But then he's back. And then there's a Spawn who's a cowboy. Right. Which just who rides a motorcycle. 
Right. When we, we'll get, I just want to touch on this one because you mentioned we'll get back in the spawn book. It starts out really cool that, you know, in 1880, whatever, he's murdered, stabbed, all these things by these people. And he wakes up a, a year later and he's a spawn from that time. And he's like, I'm going to get my revenge. And I'm like, all right, you know what? I'm actually in on this book right here. But before I can get my revenge, I'm transported to the future for some reason. And now I have a bunch of weapons and a motorcycle. And I got to figure out how I got to get back to the old West to get to enact my revenge. I'm like, I'm out. I'm out. You had me. Like if he was going to go around and he's like, they in this year that I've been on the dead, they could be anywhere. So I got to go hunt them down. Like that's a good book in its own different than spawn. But now six shooter spawns in the present time during the story. And I'm like, I'm out. I would have bought that book, Joe, but not anymore. Yeah. I figured Gunslinger Spawn would have been right up your alley until, like, those last couple pages. Exactly. But, like, I will say this about the regular King Spawn book, and I'm sad that I was talking to somebody I know at the shop, and I was like, oh, we're doing it for the show, preview, review. And I read the first, like, six pages, seven pages. It started out really good. I really liked the premise. And he ended up buying the book, and now I feel bad um, because the first six pages – I was like really good. The plan, the bit where the 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 the, the underling does what it does, it's horrible. Um, Spawn, We're doing our best to be spoiler free, right? Spawn goes to like the ceremony afterward for something, and he's talking. He's like, "We got to get this straight because this is a, a a message to me." And I'm like, "This is all great." He ends up going to see somebody who can translate something. I'm like, "This is great," and then the book goes completely off the rails into like you know how we were talking about nightwing could be a great as an 83 five issues in could be a great uh starting point for anybody this is issue one to king spawn and nine pages in and i'm completely lost it's like here's like spawn did this with the dead zones and this and 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 when you lock these people on earth and did this i'm like you're explaining stuff but none of it none of it any of it is making any sense to me okay any of it. I, I'm not going to say that it... So I did read Spawn comic books for a while, okay? Mm-hmm. So when they bring up names like Malbolgia, or they bring up names like uh, Metaron, or whoever it is, right? Mm-hmm. When they bring up those names, they're like, okay, I remember them being mentioned. And anti-Spawn, who ends up becoming the Redeemer. I'm like, okay, I remember who that is. The woman that he's talking to, Jessica Priest who they call She-Spawn, and I'm like, okay, I don't know why she's called She-Spawn, but they don't explain to us why she's called She-Spawn. It just says she's she's She-Spawn, and we just have to deal with it. I like seeing Sam and Twitch in here, and there was a fun joke in there saying, like, we don't have, a, like, a bat signal or something for him, right? Right, that was a great bit. I, was, I, I, I did read Sam and Twitch back in the day, but go ahead. Right, and then there's the bit where there's the three talking heads on the TV, you know? Mm-hmm. which was like an old trope from the original Spawn books that McFarlane did back in the day, where it's like you have your CNN knockoff, uh, you have your uh, whatever, uh, E! Entertainment News or whatever, and then you have kind of your uh, Infowars type guy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so again, those are a little bit more um, on the nose. But if I was to pitch this book to someone... And again, you know, we read this as a preview book, and I don't think we read this for the contents of the book, but we just read it because it's the book. Um, But I would say that this book is Department of Truth for dumb people. 
That's a good that's a good explanation. Yeah. Um Department of Truth kind of gets granular, uh 100% granular on a lot of stuff where they're going to dig down on something and they're going to spend two or three issues and really give you everything you need to know, even at times maybe too much information. Yep. And I think King Spawn thinks it's Department of Truth with superheroes, but it's kind of like Department of Truth for people who like to see heads explode. Yes, it was a very gory book. Yeah, um, and like I said, the art was real nice. I liked yeah. all the gore in the book. That's right up yeah. my alley, you know? See, but the difference between you and me is, do you know how many Spawn books I've read before this Spawn book? I, I know would, the actual number. You know? I would say dozens at least. No, not dozens. No, for real, I'm going to guess maybe one. I'm going to say two if I'm misremembering three. Three, and I'm not counting Sam and Twitch because that was a that was a detective book. Like a Spawn proper. Like this is the yes. continuation of the Spawn book. Yes. Yes. Two issues. The Cerebus crossover. The actual Angela issue because Neil Gaiman wrote it. And then I want to say there was a Turtles crossover in the actual Spawn book, but I may be remembering wrong. And that, that was I a, don't remember. And that was a special, which I don't count because then I didn't read it. Um, so two to three spawn issues. So when you're talking about Redeemer and all these other names, I'm like, they're all flying right over my head. And I felt like this was honest to God. I don't want to not, cause like I said, the first eight pages were very solid. I felt like I was being dropped into the X-Men universe in the nineties. Yeah. Like here's all these characters you should know. And I'm like, nope, nope. I'm out. So anyway, that's so. Right. So I think the reason that we mentioned this book, of course, because it is the hot book that's coming out, but it's the hot book coming out because it was promoted to be the hot book that's coming out Mm -hmm. with multiple variants, um, multiple like specifically through CGC. Um, You know, we mentioned before our friend Becky kind of like I wouldn't say she broke the news, but she mentioned on Twitter and I got picked up in a couple places uncredited, of course. Oh, well, there was a cop. Well, sorry. She was she was credited, but as two different men. So, (laughs) oh, well, again, that's I think that's worse than being not credited. Right. Um, That some comic store bought 10,000 copies of this book. Mm -hmm. So the sales on this book are being greatly inflated because it's being advertised and promoted as the first new number one spawn book by its original creator. But when you look at the inside of the book and you see what you know todd actually did in this book it's literally one cover and it says uh additional dialogue yep now you do know why the numbers are so high though right now well, like fun- i said the multiple variant covers i knew and then there was the cgc specific one right well i don't know if it was cgc but it was definitely the one in 250 was going to be signed by todd mcfarland okay and and Todd said, the only way to get this book signed, this new Spawn product in X amount of years, number one, by me is to get that 250, one in 250 variant. Because if you bring that book to me at a show, a regular number one, I will refuse to sign it. I will never sign a King Spawn number one, any cover, whatever, ever again. 
So everybody was like, oh my God, I have to have this book in my collection. I have to have Todd have signed it. So the only way to get it is one in 250, which good for him to think up something new. But this is like, you know, I know we try to stay positive on the show. This is the dumbest thing because I'm like, you're going to spend all that money to get that book because you want a Todd McFarlane signature. First of all, how much does he even sign? Like, but if he does sign, there's many other books that you could go and take and get signed by him limiting this one book. It's being signed is what's making it hot. And it's, to me, it's just, just kind of ridiculous. So don't mean to go off, but. No, I don't know. You know, like, and we do know, and you know, sometimes we do give them a gentle ribbing. Uh, Some of our listeners are speculators and I'm sure we have listeners out there that want that signed book, you know? Mm -hmm. And I say, Good luck. Um, you're not going to read the contents of the book probably anyway. Right. And you probably have nostalgia for that first issue of Spawn coming out. Um, I don't know. I think your $6 can be spent better elsewhere. Or uh, wait. By the, I say by the last two issues of Nightwing. Instead. I agree. <laughs> or wait, Joe. And in a week or a month, you'll be able to get those Spawn, King Spawn number ones real cheap, the regular covers. You think it's going to be that quick? Well, listen, if somebody has 10,000 copies, uh-huh. what would you pay for a copy? To just get those two, because there's not going to be 10,000 fans at that shop wanting those issues. So to move them, they'll they'll cut their own throat on those on those uh, regular covers and and bang them up for whatever they can get just to make their money back. So nah. why buy it for 6.99 or even 4.99 off somebody who's going to just cut it a little? I have a feeling they'll be dirt cheap on eBay. Or I in rec- shops. Right. Oh, okay, so I rec- I vividly recall going like at the height of, you know, this is 92, 93 maybe, had to be 92. Um, Spawn issue four, the one that had the coupon in it, right? Mm-hmm. To get image zero. Um, so that comes out on a Wednesday. And then I went to a local con that weekend. And that book was already in the dollar bins. Right. And like all the other image books from that week. And like I was kicking myself because I wasn't getting all the image books. But I was able to grab all the image books that had the coupons in them right? for a buck that like Saturday or Sunday or whatever it was that I went. Um, so, you know, I'll say, uh, you know, if there's a, you know, it's tough to grab every convention that happens. You know, the smaller ones don't have the push through on social media or whatever that the bigger one that we mentioned in Colorado Springs this weekend does. Uh, but, you know, if you're at a smaller like this weekend or next weekend or even a week after and you really want to check out king spawn you could probably find it there real cheap you know what? i'm gonna even go out on a bigger limb i'm gonna say by the time we get to baltimore or one of those bigger cons or new york comic con there's gonna be bigger comic ta- like retailers that have tables that are gonna be giving those issues away with every purchase <laughs> i'm telling you it'd be like you or uh, not every purchase but like spend Ten dollars, five dollars, get a free King Spawn number one. 
<laughs> I just feel like there's certain books, like there's a Justice League Europe number three or whatever it is, because that was a, a tease book back in the day for something. And like X-Force number ones and and like X-Men number ones, like they just come into the shop like all the time. This is going to be one of those books. All right. I'm done. So I don't I'm know. Done. Buyer and reader beware on this one. You know, it's yeah. really all we could say. Uh, so that's what we read from this past week. Let's look at what we're let's get into what we're looking forward to coming out this week. If you head over to longboxheroes.com every Tuesday, we put up the poll post, which is a link to a link to all the books that are coming out this week. Whether you get your books in print, whether you get them digitally, whether you get them sent to your home, whether you wait to pick them out of the dollar bin a week or two later, be forewarned, be forearmed, know what's coming out this week. Todd and I attempt to guess what the other is most looking forward to coming out this week. I am in the lead with one correct guess over Todd, and I am going to look at Todd's list, who has way more books than I do, and I am going to guess the book that you are most looking forward to coming out this week is Superman, Son of Kal-El, number two. It is Superman, Son of Kal-El, number two. So I'm looking over your short, short list. Is the book you're looking forward to most also Superman, Son of Kal-El, number two? It is. Yay, no movement. I'm one away, so I still have a shot. Again, it was a lean list. It was for, on my end, it was literally a coin flip between that and uh, Thor, number 16. Right, and I just felt because Thor is in the middle of a storyline... I don't know. Well, was... it was like the la- so it's one of those things where the last issue was like the beginning of what kind of sort of could be like the end of a storyline, you know? Right. Um, and you know, obviously Superman, Son of Kal is also like the second part, but the first part was kind of like a teaser to the bigger things that are going to be happening. I guess is the best way to put it. Yeah, and then coming off a hot uh, Tom Taylor book, you're you're in Tom Taylor mode. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Hopefully that won't burn us like it may have done once or twice in the past. Right. Uh, so while you're over at longboxheroes.com, be sure to check out all the other stuff that Todd and I have done, whether it be past uh, episodes of this show, past episodes of Longbox Heroes After Dark, or Todd and Joe have issues. Yep. Where and, would you like... Uh, this is another one of those uh, weeks. Oh, I got to get my notes here. Hang on. I have notes written down for everything, actually, this week. Mm, for your enough said issue? Ah, a practically enough said issue. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is the uh, issue 43 of Jonah Hex, art by Paul Gulacy, who's been on the book before. Um, and the the issue is titled The Hyde House Massacre, where uh, there's these rich folks in town. Um their house is under attack by bandits uh, doing lots of nefarious bandit like things <laughs> that I'm very surprised were even alluded to in some points in this book. Mm-hmm. Trigger warning I'll say uh, for some of you. So uh, of course they send in Jonah Hex and Jonah Hex takes everyone down. Uh, he saves the daughter but not Mr. Hyde himself. And the bounty was uh, for saving the both of them. And right. Jonah's pretty much like, listen, you're lucky I got her. Um, I brought back the rewards on everyone else. I saved her. Um, you know, you still you, you owe me you owe me a grand, which in this time was a lot of money. Mm-hmm. 
and they only had $400 because the local bank and the local economy were all tied into the Hydes and their home. And now with Mr. Hyde being deceased and the home being burned down, um, the bank essentially has like no liquid assets. Right. So we get two guys from the bank trying to scramble, trying to figure out uh, how they're going to pay Jonah Hex off, who's like, hey, you have until sundown to figure this out. I'll be at the bar. And uh, at sundown, you know, uh, you're going to have my money or, you know, I'm going to do a Jonah Hex thing on you. <laughs> and uh, the the daughter, whose name escapes me, right, uh, comes to Jonah and they definitely make you uh, believe that she's going to use her feminine wiles to pull one over on Jonah, perhaps. But no, she does not. Uh, she agrees upon and Jonah agrees as well to give the 40 acres of land that the Hyde house was on to Jonah as payment. Uh, right. They think they're going to want to sell the land and give the money from the land to Jonah, but Jonah wants the land. And Jonah's reason for this is, with the world going the way that it is, he at least wants to have a little something for himself uh, when everything kind of goes uh, end up. Right. Which makes me wonder, if the, remember when he went away to build that cabin? Yes. That issue that this was the land that he did it on. But there's a part of me there because I remember this deed being important and I'm not sure if it comes up later or if we find out it was that cabin in the past. But and it's because it's been so long since I read it and there's bigger and more important things like in the stories coming up that I just feel that this deed isn't just a throwaway. You know what I mean? But we'll have to see. But I love this issue. I love Galacy's art on this. And the page where she goes to see him and you think she's going to use her wiles on him um, in the bar, I that page was on an art his art rep site, and I wanted it so bad. <laughs> and he was like, oh, I sold that. Like, a, just like, yeah, the rep still has it on his page, but I took it to a con and I sold it. I was like, oh, he goes, oh, but I put it up on the Art Attack a while back. Um but he did me a Jonah Hex like uh, bus shot for the price of the page. So I was like, I'll take it. That That's good. So I'm mad that I never got that page, but I did end up getting a piece of art out of him. So, but you cool. like the issue at least? Yeah, this is a good issue. Yep. Quick to the point kind of a deal, right? Absolutely. So should I go now? Yeah, it's your, your turn, Todd. Oh, boy. So anyway, uh, my first book is Spectacular Spider-Man 228. Um, starts with Kane chasing Mary Jane. Joe Kane, what's he doing here? Um, so he's going to, like, kill Mary Jane. And then Spider-Man shows up. And it's like, uh, you know, you know, you can't murder Mary Jane. And Kane's like, I'm not going to do the killing. You are. It was a dream, Joe. So Peter wakes up and he's thinking to myself, and this is my favorite part. Oh, it was a dream, but it was so real. Could it have something to do when I accidentally, quote, hit Mary Jane? Could, the, could that horrifying moment still be eating at my insides? Nah, it's not that. It's something else, Joe. That, that'll never be mentioned again. Um, so he's like, now he's starting to see visions of, like, Kane in places. And he's trying to get a job at, like, uh, at the Daily Planet. Because the Daily Planet. Daily Bugle. But because it's busted up. Uh you know, they're like, we don't have time to talk to you. So he's like, oh, things are getting weird, but I need to be distracted. Mary Jane's doing her bit, uh, doing the modeling for maternity clothes because she's pregnant. Now, all of a sudden, Peter falls down in pain in the Spider-Man costume and Kane or Kane's in his head. Be like, oh, like I had this. The hypnotic, jackal. 
Jackal. I'm sorry, Kane. I said it before. You're right. Um, he's like, when I fell to my death, though, when the dreams begin, uh, when the dream ends, the nightmare begins. That that phrase, and I even mentioned it during Maximum Clones. I was like, oh, that's interesting. Um, he's like, that would be the trigger. And now the trigger is to kill Mary Jane. So Mary, she, he shows up when she gets home and he's like, I'm going to kill you. She ends up calling the new warriors, apparently. Um, because she's looking for Ben. Um, I don't know if I. Well, she's I, like the she's like the Avengers, the Fantastic Four, anyone. Right, but uh, so she ends up calling them and she gets them. But I thought it was because Ben was with them. We find maybe we find out later on. But either way, she's on the run, um, trying to get into the subway, and the new warriors show up while Peter's attacking her in the subway place. And where's the quote that I'm looking for? Oh, um, I have it written down too. Go ahead. Yeah, he's like, she's like, I'm trying to hide here, and and the, and the new warriors are here, and, and Speedball, who looks so jacked up in that shot, <laughs> he's like, he's like, yeah, but we didn't even get her name. For all we know, it could have been the Jerky Boys making a new album, Joe. <laughs> and I'm like, well, at least he brought his speed and his balls, so he has them, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> Right, so the new warriors get into a fight with Spider-Man to stop him from killing Mary Jane. To be continued. Uh, did I miss anything that you might want to add? Um. So again, I I have to be the one that points out that spectacular Spider-Man written by Tom DeFalco is the only book of the Spider-Man books that even acknowledges Peter hitting Mary Jane. Mm-hmm. Uh, everyone else is rightfully ignoring it. But Tom DeValco now four months in a row keeps coming back to it, right? Right. Um, and it pains me every time that he does. Um, Peter, as he's walking about, continually sees like the jackal appearing everywhere that he looks. Right. Um, there's the weird bit. Okay, so uh, I'll get back to the Daily Bugle here shortly. Um, is it here that we get the reveal? Uh, that the trigger phrase, because you would even said at the end of Maximum Clonage, uh, when the dream ends, the nightmare begins. Yeah, the nightmare ended a long time ago, Joe. Right. Or start. Um, so you would have thought that when Jackal said that trigger fa- phrase, it would have immediately, you know, triggered Peter to attempt to kill, as opposed to several issues, at least days, not if not weeks later. Right. Uh, like we see here. Um, so in the issue, Peter at the Daily uh, the Daily Bugle, right? And they're rebuilding things, okay? Mm-hmm. There's a fun little bit where Peter is talking to Robbie and there's all the construction people. Right. And there's a construction guy who's painting and then he's dumping a, a thing of paint on the head of one of the other guys that are painting. And the face that that guy's making is so priceless. It's so stupid. I love it. Right. And then it's like, oh, Peter, uh, as he's about to leave, uh, Angelica Yin comes up, and she works with Ben Urich. Uh, I always wanted to say that I really admire your work. Your stuff is always so daring, so dynamic, so consistent. And then she's never heard of or seen from again. So you mean she was never seen again? I don't think so. Um, If I was to guess, she's not anyone of any sort of note who comes back um, right. she's definitely not someone because like 
you know, they were previously establishing like who Ben's new rogues gallery people are going to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm almost certain that she never comes back. Okay. Because I thought she was going to be somebody a la, like, you know, they mentioned a couple of people over over the time with, with Ben. So I don't know. But. Right. So there's an Angela Yin who's not this character. But this Angelica Yin, again, different character, never shows up again. Well, that's par for the course with the Spider-Clone saga. I guess. So so now you have the other issue as well. Right. uh, Which was uh, the final issue of Web of Spider-Man number 129. Yes. So basically this one, uh, Ben shows up at the New Warriors headquarters and he's like, ah, they're all out. Some woman called that they need to rescue on the phone. He's like, woman, what? And he's like, so he goes off. So basically, the gist of this issue is, you know, Peter with the with Kane, with uh, with Jackal in his head, they're fighting. So I'm not even going to go over all that. There's nothing other than polka dot man shooting his polka dots at Spider Man. Um, ben shows up to help. Uh, Mary Jane gets on the run, and to make a long story short, the fight scene goes on. Mary Jane goes somewhere, and, and Peter's like, I know where she's going. And she ends up going back to Aunt May's house. And she's like, if you're going to do it, if you're going to kill me, um, this is the place I want it to be. You know, surrounded by the ghosts of, you know, the people that we love so much. And they do the little collage of, like, the pictures on the wall with Aunt May, Uncle Ben, you know, Peter growing up. And Ben, or Peter has his, like, meltdown thinking about it and jackals in his head. And in the end, he's like, I can't do it. You know, uh, not here, not this place kind of a deal. And Ben was is outside the window. He's like, oh, it's going to be OK. I got here just in time to be Jane's back. Mary Jane's backup just in case. Uh, but it's but stayed back so she could play her hand. Got to hand it to her. That move took a lot of brains and a lot of guts. It's the kind it's kind of ironic. Peter and I practically kill ourselves battling the jackal. But it's MJ who finally figured out how to bury that maniac once and for all. And after all this, I'm pretty confident he's gone for good, Joe. And I'm like, he's not gone. I There's no way in my mind he's gone, that he'll be back. And it's like, now all I have to do is figure out how to explain this to the Warriors. And it's like, as we bid, bid many thanks and fond farewell to the departing Stephen Butler, join us in 30 for a brand new chapter in the brand new life of the brand new spider Web of the Scarlet Spider. What? So, yeah, I just didn't want to go through every bit of that fight. But, uh, yeah, this this issue was kind of dumber because every time Peter was like, eh, like they kept grunting in the dialogue from the stop. And I'm like, this is getting old very quick. And then I like the idea of Mary Jane pulling the thing at the house. But overall, weak issue. And I, I feel that the Jackal will be back at some point in this storyline. I understand everybody comes back, but... You know, before Clone Saga is over, hello, Jackal. Uh, okay. Uh, I'll write that down. Oh, uh, so he's not this, then. This is a very paint-by-numbers, very much wrapping up this emotional thing that they needed. Like, here's this weird loose end that we need to wrap up. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know at the end of this issue, they say uh, Web of Spider-Man or Web of Scarlet Spider next month. Here, um... We'll deal with that in two weeks. Okay. 
Um, we'll we'll address all of that then. Uh, my only real takeaway from this is I want to know more and everything about uh, Carlton Lafrage, aka Hindsight, the New Warriors resident cyber cowboy. What you mean? He's in a big character. He's going to be in the new Marvel Cinematic mo- uh, Universe, so don't worry about it. Well, I tweeted at uh, Al Kennedy of House to Astonish, who is the biggest New Warriors fan I know. And mm-hmm. I just tweeted him essentially asking him, is uh, is, is Carlton Lafrage okay? Right. I hope he gets back to you soon. <laughs> well, there- because he's uh, in a different country and a different time zone, I'm going right. to guess it's – I was hoping it would be by uh, the time that we were done recording. If I get a reply, I'll let you know. Right, because I was going to say, if he's in uh, Great Britain, right? Yes. So it's probably like three in the morning there. Right. And even doing like a cursory uh, uh, Google search for him, mm-hmm. it appears as though he may only show up in this issue of Web of Spider-Man. Oh, he's Wild Whip's uh, hero. <laughs> right. It's Wild Whip and this guy. What's his name? Uh, Carlton Lafrage, a.k.a. Hindsight. Mm. Let me double check, though. No, no, he does have more appearances. I have to I have to retract that. Mm. Carlton Carlton Fromage has more appearances. Okay, so here's the issue with this, okay? So in this issue, they spell his name incorrectly. They spell it last name L-A-F-R-O-G-E, okay? Mm-hmm. Where it's actually L-A-F-R-O-Y-G-E. <sighs> <laughs> and uh he's an he's actually called hindsight lad oh my god for most of the time yes um he first appeared in the new warriors annual volume one number three so i'm buying that issue because when he shows up in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, we're going to make bank, Joe. So when, uh, during Civil War, when the New Warriors blew up a bus full of school children, not unlike <laughs> my friend Derek did, right. um, he turned, he uh, retired from heroics, became unhinged, and opened up the inflammatory New Warriors website destroyallwarriors.com I hope they don't need, mean Jim um real website um he posted the warriors public identities incited violence against them and then was eventually put in jail right and did you know after he was released Joe he creates a new website www.marvelornot.com in order to push his conspiracy theories in regarding the superhuman community among these theories he believes that the superhuman community is controlled by a cabal composed of Beta Ray Bill Brother Voodoo Dazzler Lockjaw Puck and Deadpool Marvel not also not a real uh, website Although it should be. 
And uh, yeah, so again, I love that they misspell his name in the issue. Oh, I'm just going to call him Carlton Fromage. All right. Is a fromage French for cheese? I think so. Okay. Oh, wait a minute. Does he then go open up a chain of uh, pizza parlors and arcades? I think so. <laughs> All right. So uh, next week we have to read the rare two issues of uh, Jonah Hex, uh, which is Jonah Hex uh, number 44 and 45. And we have Amazing Spider-Man 460 and Amazing Sp- or Spider-Man 63, the beginning of the end for the Parkers. Uh-oh. And the reason it's a two-parter for Jonah Hex is because this is a rare and the only time it's the beginning of a six-part story. Oh, really? Yep. So instead of giving you one at a time, I was like, I'll, I'll double up. Do two, two, and two. Make it a little bit more special. Yeah, I get you. Yes. And uh, hey, listen, uh, longboxheroes.com, of course. Don't forget, you still got about two and a half weeks uh, to sign up for or to get your uh, picks in for the pigskin pickums. Yep. Uh, it is the first post pinned on the website. Can't miss it. And uh, let me look here. How we're doing with uh, people signing up. I think if any we're new at... names have uh, joined us or not. I keep it bookmarked so I can get to it easy, Joe. I think we're at 17. Now, this one, unfortunately, gets cut off due to size limitations. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it says Dick Nightshave and the dot, dot, dot. Yeah, I don't know. All right. So if you are Dick Nightshave and the dot, 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 let us know what the rest of that dot, dot, dot is. Because you've run, you've, you've exhausted the limits of the characters on the ESPN Pigs Can Pick em site. Right. And I already have my picks in for the first, like, six weeks. I'm ready to go. You are. Uh, like I said, if I can't win, Vinny Doombots, it's all yours. Well, it depends on what Nick Nightshave and the dot, dot, dots is. If the dot, dot, dots are good, then, you know. Right. I'm waiting for some some great cl- spider clone, you know, type name. That's uh, what I'm Again, doing. someone's going to sign up as Carlton Le- 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 uh, Fromage or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Uh, also, of course, you can check out our store where we have shirts and pins and stickers with our fancy logo on them sitting right here in the office until they get moved to the other office, uh, ready to be shipped out to you with a tracking number and everything. And uh, if you love this show, and I know you do because you're listening this far in, then you probably love even more of this show. And uh, you can get more of the show for as little as five bucks a month over at our Patreon. You can get it for a little bit cheaper, but again, we're pushing the five dollars. Uh, you get two bonus shows every month from Todd and myself. Uh, six never seen movies. Todd gives me six movies I've never seen. Uh, I give Todd six movies he's never seen. Uh, and we chat them out here on the show. Uh, we just got done uh, reviewing the 1982 classic Megaforce. And you'll have to believe me, Todd, that I'm giving you the thumb kiss right now. I believe it. Have I worn out that gif yet, Joe? Absolutely not. Right. I got to talk to you about that gif off air. Okay. Um, And, of course, previewing the past where we look at 30 years ago this month's issue of previews. 
Uh, as we were talking a little bit earlier about Spawn getting a new number one, you know, I, I think in the chronology, we're about six months away from Image Comics being a thing. I believe so. Yeah, maybe about five months, give or take, of the like five months away from the announcement, six months from the books rolling out. Uh, so, you know, if you're interested in comic book history, that's a fun thing to get. And, of course, at the $5 level, you also get Longbox Heroes After Dark three days before everyone else. So you can listen to these two shows in the correct listening order. Uh, you could also make any and all of your purchases through our Amazon affiliate banner at the top of the page over at longboxheroes.com. Does not charge you anything extra. The good people at Amazon called it an advertising fee because if it wasn't for us telling you that they exist, you would not know that Amazon exists because in the hierarchy of things, Lamborghini of pod, of comic book podcasts, us number one, Amazon number two. So we have to do our best to help out the little guy. True. Uh, and... You know, some of the notable purchases through the Amazon click-through this past week include uh, an Exacto brand pencil sharpener. And I thought they just did, like, box cutters, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. Uh, somebody purchased some Similac NeoSure infant formula with iron. Right. And uh, I want to say about we'll those ahead. two. About those two, sorry. When I was reading yours really quick, those are in a different order. So I literally let, read it as Similac NeoSure infinite. Infant formula with iron, exacto pencil shirt <laughs> as one thing. And I'm like, that's like a niche item as far as I'm concerned. Uh, somebody purchased an RCA to HDMI converter. Maybe they're looking to play some old school v- video games on a newfangled TV. D- TV. Uh, somebody purchased the LED-less PC LED flexible light strip. It's when when you make your computer look like uh, one of those cars that have the ground effects on them. You ever see those cars that have ground effects on them? I've seen them. I've I've drifted against them, Joe. Oh, that's right. Todd is the definition of living his life a quarter mile at a time. Mm -hmm. Well, I've drifted off a few times during when when we've recorded. Oh, my goodness. Uh, Somebody also purchased uh, Gianni brand unisex adult men's baklava face masks. And neck gator face masks that are reusable. So, you know, glad to see the folks still masking up out there. Uh, just try to be as possible. And then I saw this. Uh, so I'm, I read the description and it says Funko Pop Hostess. And I read this word as Donats. Right. And I'm like, was there a band called the Donats? Is it like the members of the band, the Donuts, dressed as hostesses? What is oh, this? It's Donuts. It's Donuts. Not Donuts. It's Donuts. It's a Funko Pop of a bag of Donuts. Yep, that's what the Hostess brand is called. I, I, was, more, Go ahead, I was more focused on my mispronunciation of Donuts. Mm-hmm. Um, because I knew what it was. Like I know the 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 brand uh, of like cupcakes and stuff like that. But I was like, how did they make it a Funko? And then th- there you go. You know? And did you see? Did you look? It, it's it's one of those ones where like they'll do an inanimate object, you know, mm-hmm. as the Funko Pop, and instead of being like the giant head with the tiny body, it'll just be the thing that it is with arms and legs. 
Yep, and that's what this. It reminds me of like I don't know. I just want to. It's got a even though it looks nothing like them. It's got a Stay Puff Marshmallow vibe, man. Right. Thing. I don't know why, but how many you want? No, I'm not. I don't want to get into the pod. Uh, the the Funko Pop uh, world. You know. You'll you'll have a whole room just to have them, Joe. I know a guy. Yeah, I know that guy too. <laughs> uh, any art attacks this week? We did not have any art attacks last I checked ten minutes ago. No, I checked too. There was done. Uh, so I guess, uh, what is it? We getting into TV talk, eh? Yep. All right. Uh, so if you didn't watch Stargirl or Legends of Tomorrow, we bid you adieu. Thank you very much for listening to episode 569, Longbox Heroes. And uh, let's get into Stargirl. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this uh, is Jenny who I still just want to call Jade. Right. And I feel this is your A story. Uh, she shows up. She's looking for the Green Lantern. Her dad, Alan Scott, bequeathed to her in a box of lozenges, the mm-hmm. ring, and a toy car that her brother, Todd, uh, played with as a child. Oh, I thought that was my car. No. Um, so this is a lot of, and of course they call her Jenny, but she's credited as Jennifer Lynn Hayden. It's Jade. It's Mm -hmm. the, you know, this iteration of Green Lantern things. And of course there breeds jealousy in this because Jenny, uh, coming from the Ordway home for children. Oh, I love when they do that stuff. I love when they do that stuff too, but I didn't like that Miss Ordway was so mean to Jenny. She wasn't. She was like, you got to stop be- being so you got to be stop being a people pleaser. Well, Jenny can't help it. She's a people pleaser. She not only looking for her brother or looking for the, the lantern for the ring, but also more so looking for her brother. That's more important to her than really anything else. Right. Right. Uh, and this causes a little bit of a rift between uh, Jenny and Courtney, because, of course, Jenny kind of has what Courtney always wanted, like to have that direct legacy as a superhero, uh, where Courtney does not. But again, still a superhero, and that all gets resolved in the wash. Uh, and I, every, everything oh, is okay there. Right, and I do like that Jenny gives Stripesy all the respect that he does deserve that Courtney does not give. Right. Like, I love that. And then in the end, that kind of gets resolved, too. But I was like, yeah, like, you... You st- you be you be good to him. You know what I mean? Because nobody else is. Uh, I'd say this. Well, I'll say the C plot is uh, Cindy and her mom and the Eclipso gem. Yep, I love the opening to this episode. I did too. The, like the two openings to the two episodes have been a plus plus. The first one was creepy. This one was her like the mother wrecking the house because. Uh, Cindy isn't there, but just the crestfallen when the door opens and she's horrified. I felt so bad for the mom. I love that opening. And then how it goes completely sideways and Cindy gets taken over by the Eclipso. And I mark out, I love Eclipso. I, we talked about this last week. I love the darkness within as a, as a crossover when she gets the half, the eclipsed face and the red eyes, I'm like, oh, you're speaking my language. I love all this. I thought they did a good bit when, uh, like, she went, like, full Eclipso, you know? Mm-hmm. 
at the end of the episode. I thought that was really cool. I liked the way they did that effect. Um, right. You know, sometimes the effects on the TV shows can be dodgy at times. Yep. Uh, but I thought this looked good. I also like that when the mother saw Eclipso in the knife that he had like the elf hat on, it looked yep. like. I was like, oh, like they're not, they're just giving the silhouette and the bright red eyes. I'm like, oh, he's going to be wearing the, he's going to be wearing the hat. Please be wearing the two colored stitched hat. Please, please, please. Eclipso is a great designed villain, an underrated villain, I would say, in the DC universe. Like, what was the last time there was an Eclipso storyline, let alone a good Eclipso storyline? You know, uh, last Eclipso, he was a big part of the new 52. They were trying to work him in with, like, there was him, the Phantom Stranger. And then remember that new woman character that came out of New Fifth Pandora? They were, like, all, like, ancient, eternal things. There was, like, Pandora, like, he, and then, uh, Phantom Stranger was kind of like uh, Judas. He was supposed to be Judas. And then Eclipso was like the first god of vengeance before the Spectre. That was like the last time I remember. Oh, no, you know what? He showed up in Amethyst. The last run, too, I believe. They like to use him because the stone works, you know? Yeah, that makes sense. But love Eclipso. But the B story, I would say. Right. This is this is where things are really are. Uh, a man comes to town. Uh, he is a collector of antiques, mm-hmm. uh, fine antiquities. Uh, he he runs into uh, Amy Smart, whatever Stargirl's mom is, um, and sa- and gives uh, her his card, which has no contact information about it, and uh, decides to go down to the local diner to get a spot of tea. Mm-hmm. Mr. Dickie Swift, Joe. Yes. Uh, otherwise known as The Shade. Oh, I marked out. Uh, one of the coolest DC villains, direct lineage to Starman, Stargirl, Star everything. Uh, and then, of course, we get the bit where Pat is trying to feel him out a little bit at the diner. And then he sees the kids go by. And, of course, that's more pressing matters that he needs to take care of. Uh, but he does notice the really nice watch that he's wearing, and it's the yep. same watch that apparently is in focus only in the only <laughs> photograph that they have of him in the Injustice Gang file on him. Yep. Oh, Joe. Like, and I, when they're doing all the stuff, you know, there's a bit with Rex Tyler feeding Solomon Grundy again. And I like the fact that he cleans up after him, too. Um, but the bit where the antique car's driving into into Blue Valley... I'm like, that's the shade. Like, there's nobody else who's driving that car. And he gets out and puts the top hat on with the cane. And I'm like, oh, my. Like, just, it's like, man, I miss Starman the book so much. Uh, yeah, so it was good to see him. I looked up the actor uh, mm-hmm. who played him. He, if you remember from a couple seasons ago, uh, played Blackbeard in episodes of Legends of Tomorrow. Oh, my God. So maybe there'll be a crossover. Maybe. Maybe. Uh, but Stargirl's been good. These first two episodes back of the new season have been really fun. I, I've been absolutely lo- like lo- loving these. Yeah. I'm like Stargirl. I, like I said, I was worried it was going to get CW'd, and it didn't. Um, I think because it was CW enough to be... To avoid being CW'd. 
Right. And I think Jeff Johns won't let that happen. You know what I mean? Yeah. Does you think he has that much power? I think he does with Stargirl. They're like, you seem to fire on all cylinders with her lately. And that's pretty much like what we'll let you have. Like, I think he's worked out an agreement. Gotcha. So uh, moving over to Legends of Tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Episode title is Silence of the Sonograms. <laughs> and already I was leery uh, because we start off with Bishop being back. Yes. And, you know, in these I- these episodes. So, so let's kind of deal with that. A, I guess that's the A story that Bishop is back, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, Sarah immediately puts him in, like, the hold with the force field around him. Has Spooner go in and keep an eye on him. But, of course, they're trying to figure out what he's up to. He seems to have good intentions. Uh, In regards to this, and Ava goes in and she's going to grill him, but he kind of sort of turns the tables on her a little bit. Uh, But really, while that's going on is they, Ava and Bishop, are playing their little game of cat and mouse. Sarah and Nate are playing a game of chess, kind of saying like, oh, you know, Ava's got this under control, but obviously she does not. Because as Bishop is helping her with the wedding planning that she's having difficulties with, we learned that Bishop, who is the one who had created Ava and the one who had saved Sarah, making her like part alien clone. Uh, Ava was his favorite of the cloned Avas. He himself is a clone. And now he sees them all as family. But of course, it's revealed the reason he's able to kind of play Ava in the way that he is, is that in cloning his body, uh, this iteration of him, he's 6% Sarah. Right, because she blew up his pattern before it could finish. And she's like, I had to take something. So I took 6% of, of Sarah. So right. I, that we're like like evenly matched kind of a deal. But I will say the bits with Ava and Bishop, like I hated Bishop all season. Yes. Bishop, Bishop with the 6% of Sarah is a manipulative, I can't even say what he is on this show. You know what I mean? Person. He's a manipulative person. Person. Tom. But the bit where he's doing the wedding and little by little he's breaking Ava down and the bit where he he chooses Perfect Day by Lou Reed for their dance and she's she's doing it and she breaks down and then she just she describes Perfect Day by Lou Reed perfectly. She's like this song wants to make me laugh and cry at the same time and I'm like that's a good like I love Perfect Day by Lou Reed and like he gets into it and I'm like Bishop has just like turned a corner for me as a villain. I like this version. I would prefer if they said he was, uh, you know, he was pretending that whole time to like lull them into a false sense of security. But I'm I'm coming around on Bishop. I don't know if you are. Uh, this is the his best portrayal as a manipulator. Yes. So there's your A story. Let's say. Right. Uh, your B story, I would guess, is all the stuff with John and yep. uh, Zari and Astra and Spooner, where uh, they are trying to figure out why John is behaving the way that he is. Uh, he's been acting strange ever since they went to whatever they call the Fountain of Youth in the show. Mm-hmm. Um, and as Spooner is attempting to remember, it appears as though part of her memory from that day is missing. 
Right, because he cast a spell on her back then. Yes. So she can't remember what happened. They, Aster and Zari, cast a spell on her to unlock that part. And that's where it's revealed that John had the little vial of, we do find out that it is blood. I was correct. No, I always said it was blood. You keep saying it's what's it's Crowley's blood. And it's yeah. not. It's not. It was the magic that he had the vampire create using blood. I still think it was. Well, it was Crowley's blood. Maybe that Crowley was using that I can get myself around on. Right? There you go. Because we'll be here all day arguing because, you know, I don't uh, give stuff up. Right. So obviously, while that's going on, John is battling his literal demons, which is him all put together. Where the John that we and everyone else sees is all disheveled. He's got like spaghetti-o stains on his shirt, like he's trying to open up a can of spaghettios on the sidewalk or something. Right. Uh, but then he's got like all put together John, and that's like the literal devil on his shoulder telling him, you know, to keep using this and keep using this. But obviously, the more and more he uses it, the sicker and sicker he gets, and the more he needs to rely on it. And multiple times. He threatens as though he's going to get rid of it, and he doesn't. Uh, Zari, of course, says, well, you know, you're my boyfriend. I love you. We love each other. I'm going to stick with you, and we're going to fix this. And, of course, evil put together John shows up, gives him the flask with the stuff in there. Uh, and then that kind of leads into where we left, where we have to get to the C-plot which is all the Rory stuff. But uh, what are your thoughts on all the John stuff from this? Okay. Um, the, the thought, like the whole demon slash beat up, like uh, addict John, I absolutely love because it goes down a darker road and reminds me of that Constantine show that lasted one season. And when the demon John kicks the ever living, you know, crap out of him, and he's all bloody. And he's like, if you need this, like you need the, 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 the blood magic. And he ends up taking it. And I'm like, like he like that is a brutal looking John at the end with all the blood and everything, which seems out of place for legends, but I love it. I love that whole bit, but it's to get him into a place that as we get into the Rory bit, that Bishop can use everybody, which is another thing like that I like about this turn. So yeah, that's all I got to say about the, the John stuff. Right. So then the C story uh, is Mick is having the baby. Uh, still has the wig on from last week. A glorious wig. Gets better every this time. For sure. Um, we we learn that uh, he is in his, he, you know, he's about to enter his second week of labor. Or no, it, it, things are going to get a little bit worse once he hits his second week of labor. That's what it was. Right. Gary uh, uh, is being a good midwife and helping all of these things. Uh, Bishop whips up a concoction that's going to help soothe these labor pains. But, of course, the pregnancy is coming on very quickly, um, typically uh, so that his head would not explode. They would have to get them out through his ears. But for some reason, they were not able to. There may have been some blockage. So he had to deliver. Uh, uh, Rory had to deliver nasally. And I like the effect of his head getting all like, and his head and eyes and nose and stuff getting all weird and puffed out and stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, while he was delivering all 46 bundles of joy. And uh, so it, it's learned that the concoction that Bishop whipped up that uh, Sarah enjoyed very much as well 
had ginger in it, which expedited the pregnancy so that Bishop could get in there and get the communicator out of Rory's ear. Yep. So, so now, he could, yeah. uh, uh, Bishop has the ear of evil John Constantine. Yes. And I, uh, that whole thing with Rory was killing me in the, in the, in the wig. Cause this is the first time we got a good look at him in like in a non-moving position. Yes. And I was crying. It was, you know what? He looks like Mo. If they ever do another live action, uh, three stooges movie, he could play Mo. And I was crying. He ends up give, making Gary the Godfather, and like Gary trying to downplay being made the Godfather is peak Gary. You know when what he's doing. But my favorite part is as he's being taken for labor, he starts like losing his hair, and it's like oh, like you're in labor. And Gary tells him like the hair is falling out, and he rips a chunk out of it, and he screams with the anguish that I felt. That that wig was going to be gone soon. Like I was crying at the whole the whole bit of it and how he looked and he had like patches of it taken out and he was like it was falling out and then in the end he was bald again. And I agree with you. The uh, the nose delivery, uh, just the the effects peak, just fantastic. So so this was another all. fun episode because I think uh, they figured out who and what Bishop should be. Yes. Uh, he did work as whatever he was before. Um, worked here as a master manipulator. Right. So I think next week is the penultimate episode of the, the season. Uh, is that correct? I believe last time we talked about it and I looked, it was. That there's only 15 episodes this season. This is going to be 14 coming up. Oh, yeah, yeah. So there's only the two more that have titles and dates. But then, like I said, so this is the end of the season, and then it comes back on the 13th of October. So Right, so a month off, and we're back to Legends. Yeah. And then I'm, I keep calling my shot. I think seven's going to be the last season. Uh, well, they beat the it was six seasons in a movie. Maybe we'll get a movie next. Oh, can you imagine a big-budget live-action uh, let, oh, I, that or Puppets of Tomorrow. That's the only other way I'd go. Well, I, I imagine a movie, not a big budget one. I, I would almost demand it not be big budget. I think it's going to be DC's first blockbuster superhero movie. This Legends is, is going to be their Guardians of the Galaxy. No, this is going to be their Blade. Oh, my goodness. We bring it all around. <laughs> exactly, boy. I know what I'm doing. Yeah. All right. Well, everyone, thank you very much for listening. Uh, we appreciate you hanging in there with us. Uh, jinxed ourselves. It is a long episode, but uh, there was some barely noticeable internet issues that we had there. Uh, thanks for listening to episode 569, Longbox Heroes. For Todd, this is Joe saying we'll see you all here next week. Remember, be a faucet, not a drain. Boop! You're listening to the soon-to-be-named network, the Lamborghini of Podcast Networks.